guys. It's Andy's Girls. It's episode 299, but recorded a second time. So here is some behind-the-scenes Michigas for you. It is Saturday the 26th, Erev birthday, as my fellow Hebrew people say the day before, the night before, um, because it is technically the 26th, my blessed birthday, the same as Vicky Love Tank. Never filled, currently filled, soon to be filled, Gumbelson on the 27th. But anyway, it's one o'clock on technically the 26th, the day, by the way, of AG 300. And I am recording 299 again because I recorded an episode several hours ago with two fabulous guests who I've been looking forward to having on Andy's Girls for literal months. We've been talking about having them come on for months and um, the timing was exactly right. We recorded. It's a fantastic episode. And then realized in post that the audio needed some additional tweaking, which would have taken so many hours that I would have been happy to do, but it would have meant the timing for 300 would have been off because it wouldn't have been able to go up um today the day that you're listening to this episode um so I was so sad and I took to Instagram stories as I do my the live journal of 2022 and um you know was talking a little bit about how humbling podcasting (laughs) is. And I don't know, everybody has a different experience, but I have to say um, a conversation I've actually had with several people today is in the wonderful world of self-produced podcasting, there are benefits and drawbacks. You know, one of the primary benefits is that you can own your content in the sense of not just literally owning it, but also I can make a decision at one o'clock in the morning without needing to go through, you know, several reps and whomever else that I want to redo an episode and put do some stuff out of order. And the nice thing is that the episode that I recorded ended up being incredibly evergreen. We had very specific conversation that won't be affected by what happens on an episode next week. So it's it's a solid app regardless, which is great. So then I was like, you know what, guys, I don't know when this is going to be up, yada, yada, yada. And then I thought to myself, you know what, let's do it. Let's rewatch Orange County in New Jersey, which I just did. It is literally one o'clock in the morning. And I just kind of wanted to talk to you guys. I mean, it's an interesting weekend in which to put up an episode because as I said, Andy's Girls 300 is tonight. And if you follow me on Instagram, you know that there are two housewives joining the evening. Margaret Josephs will be up first in the um, illustrious event at Club Coming that's taking place in however many hours. And Kelly Kaloran Ben Simone is actually going to be joining us in person. And as an Andy's girl, however long you've been with the pod, if you've there are literal OGs of the AG people who survived hashtag old audio, which is incredible. Um, truly, I don't know that I could have, and I'm so appreciative. And spiritual OGs of the AG and people who are new to the pod and something that honestly didn't even occur to me until well after she was announced on social. I think an AG must have reminded me. Absolutely. It must have been an AG because you guys are more honestly on the ball than my little brain um, this week. But, you know, the idea that 
you know, Andy's Girls is the first pod in the space that's focused on the psychology behind Bravo and Housewives. And it wasn't created for that. It was created because someone that I went to college with, of someone that I was like casually, you know, I would say an acquaintance of, Damian Bellino. And I would talk about Housewives so much on Facebook, may its memory be a blessing, that we decided to, you know, come over to my that to have Damien come over to my apartment one day and I took out a shitty recorder that I used for the next year and a half of recording and just talk and what ended up happening was the conversations grew into or maybe kind of always were you guys honestly would know more than this than I would but there was always a focus on I think the behavior connected to the minutiae of what we're watching on TV of these women and our perspectives and the ways that our perspectives shape our interpretation of what's happening on screen. And that idea, because of influenced by feedback we heard from listeners, grew into this, I guess you would call it a segment on Angie's Girls called Satchels of Gold. And the history on Satchels of Gold is obviously, as I've said more than once, are um, in honor, named in honor of Her Holiness Kelly Kalor and Ben Simone. But they're really listener, aka Bravo viewers, thoughts and feels, questions and concerns. And it's so interesting that the 300th episode of the pod will include the person who coined the phrase Satchels of Gold, which P.S. was what I wanted to name the podcast. I, Damien and I were coming up with names, couldn't think of anything, and I really, really wanted Satchels of Gold, but the thing was, it's so niche. And I think that Andy's Girls, in many ways, is a niche kind of show. Like, you guys have been on the journey. You know that it can take such a long-form focus that there are some episodes where I'm like, I actually don't know what we discussed, <laughs> where it could be a scene, and it goes down these different paths. And you know, it's part of the fun. It's also part of the tension. And and for an event that um, the second time we've ever done a live show, for a podcast that's focused on stream of consciousness, it's a little like doing, you know, a tap dance on a tightrope in the sense that I truly don't know where the conversation is going to go. And as an event producer by trade, that is sort of a nightmare for the producer side of me who's always focused on doing a run of show that's like like a true TikTok time by the minute like to the extent that when I pre-COVID was producing large-scale galas part of the fun for me was seeing if the timing that I had determined from a run of show I created matched up with the timing of what was happening on stage and if you have remarks from somebody in advance that can help try to figure it out but often it was like truly just going on my gut of how this stuff was going to get timed out and then at the end of the night I would be like how close was I to the minute um but with a live show you're kind of letting all of that go and introducing you know bravo lebs into the conversation is an entirely different focus and shows like AG Live, the second time we're ever doing it, only happen because of all of you listening, because of sending in satchels of gold, because of, um, you know, just the connection that I feel with AGs that I hear from every day. And so, you know, this audio stuff happened and I just felt so incredibly humbled (laughs) in the sense that episode 299, this thing happened, I can't put the episode up and it's maybe 
I was thinking about it and and there was a potential option of what would have needed to happen, which I'm hoping not to have to do, but that if that happens, it would have been the third time in 299 episodes that I really have to do like an extreme measure to try to get the audio right or to get, you know, to try to figure out another solution. But all this to say, it's just so fascinating that on the eve of recording the 300th episode live here in New York City, I'm in fact doing a solo episode recording alone because I posted on Instagram, my apologies on the delay and explainer of what happened because I obviously want to be um, open with you guys and I try to be as consistent as possible with timing and I also want to be forthright when the timing doesn't lead to a, a Sunday a, a Saturday um, rather drop and then I realized mm, let's change it the the glory of owning content and of owning the decisions is that I can decide you know what let's have a connector episode which to be honest, as I say this out loud, again, stream of consciousness, a little bit of a tightrope, feels incredibly appropriate. And I'm not one of those people of things happen for a reason because too many terrible things have happened in my life for me to ever believe truly traumatic things to believe that things happen for a reason. I don't believe that. I think things happen, terrible things happen, sometimes terrible things get worse. But I also think you can sometimes change your mind about how you're processing frustrating moments. And I was very annoyed for a little bit, not at even the situation, but just like at the energy in the office where I was editing, where I'm like, I don't have time for this. I like, I need to prep for this AG300, the, you know, timing with stream of consciousness, a whole other thing, you know, working, um, with a, pun a bunch of different like entities to make this all t to bring this all together. It's a lot of work, which I, I love to do. I, I really do love to do even when I'm like spiraling. And so just the idea that hopping on, having had a plan for something and then realizing the plan change, but kind of taking ownership and trying to redirect feels like exactly what I should be doing right now. And I know that that may or may not make sense. And the episode, today's episode is going to be different from the episode that I recorded earlier today. But um, I think that that's okay. It's like a reminder to myself. I think of it through the lens of humbling, like that there is nothing more humbling than podcasting in the sense that sometimes things, regardless of how long you've been in the game, how many listeners um, stay tuned to episodes, whatever else, sometimes things go wrong. Um, and it's like, what do you do about it that matters? You know, like it's what happens that counts. And I don't know why, but, you know, I watched, um, rewatched Orange County in New Jersey. And uh, we, I actually talk about this on the episode that you guys will listen to, you know, whatever. Um, but I was talking about, you know, the perspective of being a content creator and viewing these episodes. And, that, you know, you hear when I talk about the fact that aside from Orange County last season, I've seen every episode of every franchise essentially at least twice. I think at this point there have been a couple that I've only seen once from this year. Um, but essentially I've seen every episode uh, around twice, um, if not many, many more times. Um, and as a content creator, I usually watch each episode First for myself, where I'm giving it often like 60% attention because it's comfortable. And then the second time I'm watching really for you guys, I'm watching for the pod. I'm watching so that I can like 
clock a moment or a feeling, a curiosity, a curio, um, shout out Succession fans, um, but clock a moment that I want to discuss, that I'm curious about, that I want to, you know, feed off of um, my guest co-host, whoever that is at that point. And in watching, re-watching the episodes tonight, I realized that like, I don't know if it's just the state of affairs that I'm in or a feeling of feeling emotional about the 300th episode, which, oof, if you guys only knew the number of times in 300 episodes where I was like, this is the series finale. (laughs) I can't do this anymore. But I was watching the episodes tonight and I realized like, I don't know what is in the air, BCC hormones, but there, it felt to me a little bit like, wow, I feel like I'm watching it with everybody right now because I know that I'm going to be meeting a bunch of you tomorrow and uh, so many of you have bought tickets because the glory of of live events is that you can't really do your your future event is solely based off the sales of the one that occurred right before it doesn't matter that the first show that we did sold out it really primarily matters how we did with this show it's like the last memories you leave with someone is often the most important, regardless of what happened before, for better or worse. And so we still have tickets to sell. It's it's an odd thing to think about because of the numbers being really strong in a in a positive way of being really low in New York right now. But the weather's getting better and people are away and it's a weekend and it's spring break and everything else. And, you know, I got messages from AGs um, who are buying tickets from all over the place, who don't live in New York City and aren't attending tomorrow, who wanted to support the event. And I got those messages and was like so overwhelmed because, you know, I want to continue doing these live events. I want to go visit you wherever you are and talk housewife psychology for six hours and um, then go to the bar in turtle time, you know, like and meet AGs and get a sense of how you feel about things and how you disagree with things that were just said. But the idea that like it felt like people from all over the place were participating in this event that hasn't even happened yet was just incredibly meaningful. And that, you know, it, podcasting is often a very solitary um, enterprise. And the negative part of that is that often the response that you're getting from people is negative. It can be attacking and terrible, awful things that people say or that that people post or (laughs) the ways that they want to punish, you know, someone for their views. But to feel like support from people who are like, oh, this this show actually like means something to me. Like, and I know that this live show means something to you. So I want to support it. it was just incredibly meaningful. And then I started watching the episodes again. And I was like, I don't know if I had that in the back of my head or what, but it felt different tonight. I don't know if it's also because I'm so tired <laughs> um, because of prepping for this live show, but it really felt like I was watching it with you. So I don't, all of this to say, it was a delight to watch Housewives with you tonight. And I do, in fact, shockingly, have some thoughts. I feel like people, you know, 
recently. There's a conversation online about Anne Hathaway. This is a terrible comparison. I regret saying this out loud as I say it. And yet here we go. And it's something that um, Evan Ross Katz, who's co-hosting the live show, I'm obsessed with. I'm so excited about it. If you guys haven't read his Buffy book, I'm like extremely excited. It's my reward is to read it after the live show is done. I'm so excited, uh, which came out this week. It's supposed to be phenomenal. But anyway, Evan Ross Katz put up a piece um, uh, uh, online um, earlier today-ish, aka Friday, um, about the reckoning of people coming to terms with how they treated Anne Hathaway. And Anne Hathaway is someone who was really kind of like as a hobby almost hated by people and um because of her honestly dreadful Oscar speech and maybe some of her behavior or this sense that she was maybe for lack of a better term triggering to people like you know the oft used phrase when describing her encapsulating her was that she had um like summer theater energy and um, that's not necessarily wrong, but obviously, or not obviously, a lot of people have reconsidered the level of distaste that they felt for for Anne, for any. And uh, I think a lot of people are looking at her in a different light. And, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's actually incredibly um, helpful. And it's I don't know that it's super connected to the oft used phrase on AG of like normalized changing your mind based on on new information. But I do think in in reading Evan's piece that there is a connection to the ways that sometimes we view housewives. For example, if you told me season three, four, I guess five-ish maybe of New Jersey that I would give a shit about Teresa Judice, 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 I would tell you to absolutely go fuck yourself because I couldn't imagine it because I was so overwhelmed with how she treated Melissa and Strippergate and everything else and Joe Gorga, by the way, and Jacqueline and Caroline and Kathy <laughs> and Rosie and I don't know, whomever else. Um that I couldn't imagine having the capacity for empathy being the forward movement for Tree, where I acknowledge she makes terrible decisions. I acknowledge that some of those decisions are really based on romantic relationships, that she is like obstinate to the point of, I mean, denial plus plus, um, which she can like subvert at a certain point and I know your favorite word weaponize against her cast members or anyone who's giving her truths that she doesn't want to hear or rather just information that she doesn't want to hear or she disagree with the idea that she turns that as being a character flaw a sign of evil almost uh you're attacking the family because you're going to my heart and my heart is the future with this person that I love and to think that the way that I viewed her for years has changed in such a way where I can watch her now. And I feel a little bit charmed by her, not even just a little bit. She's never going to be in my top five, I say out loud at 1.20 a.m. I don't know that that's true. I I don't anticipate that ever happening, like a top five of all time. She could 100% be in like a top five of the week in terms of enjoyment. 
um, in terms of what she's bringing to a season. But I don't think I could ever see her as a favorite in the way that I think of Kyle and the way that I think of Shanna Bador um, in the way that I have have thought of Heather Gay minus the reunions. Um, But just the simple fact that you can watch someone and feel so differently about them, noting how terribly you thought of them previously, how when they went on screen, you were just just kind of honestly, truly disgusted. And how that can turn with time. I don't know. The Anne Hathaway of it all is so interesting to me in the sense that that is someone who people have had very specific and loud feelings for, overwhelmingly negative, often discussed and used as a form of entertainment online. And thinking about the connection to Real Housewives, like I think we've all had those people you know, we talk on house on AG a lot about spiritual housewives. Like, who's the housewife that you see yourself in the most or maybe the least, the person that you connect with spiritually in the sense of this may or may not be my favorite housewife, but this is the housewife that I identify with in the sense of they're doing things that I um, see myself doing for better or worse, or they're doing things that I know I would never want to do. Maybe it reminds me of somebody in my life or something else. But I also wonder from, I don't know how to phrase it, but from the perspective of like a housewife adjustment, like who's the housewife who you feel differently about now than you did then? Like, and maybe it's easiest to look at it through the lens of like, I felt negatively about this person. And now I understand them a little bit more. Maybe that's what it is. It's a difference in understanding. I think I understand Teresa a little bit more in the sense that I genuinely, no joke, think I have made peace with understanding how she processes things or more often does not. And I think about it in the lens, not just of Teresa, but of Shannon Bador. Because I have seen a lot of people and discussed with a lot of people I think a transition that a lot of people have made this season where they say, okay, I don't agree with what this person says, but I think I understand her more. And this is reality TV. There's a production element. How much of that has to do with the edit? How much of that has to do with the cast involved? How much of that has to do with the level of conflict aimed Shannon's way. Shannon's someone who, as many of you know, because I talk about her at length, hashtag stand for Shan, Shan is my spiritual housewife or has been for a long time. Um, I wrote a piece for The Dip a couple months ago about almost my evolution on spiritually standing for Shannon. The idea that like as I've grown as a person and kind of evolved, how does my connection to her change? Like how is she changing as a person? And Shannon is, you know, in a different place now than she was obviously when she joined Housewives, when she seemed to have it all and that all was only financial. <laughs> because in every other way, there was some sort of crisis. And crisis is a is a framework of consistency. It's like the pattern in Shannon's quilt. You know, there is always something that she is trying to overcome. And I think so much of it is because her operating system is like not necessarily in need of an update. Like I don't want to say it's like a, you know, she's on like a, sometimes her reactions to things are like not an iPod Nano, (laughs) but like, 
maybe it just needs like a little bit of a zhuzh. I think that there is something to be said for the fact that as her circumstances has, have changed, maybe sometimes her reasoning has a little, but overwhelmingly, I think she is still that, you know, duck or whatever they call it, that phrase like paddling, you know, like you're a duck on water, like you can't see how fast you're swimming underneath, but it all looks good on top, except she's only underneath. You're like, oh, wait, where are your wings and things? I only see feet furiously <laughs> like trying to swim in the water. And in so many ways, that is Shannon. And yet a lot of people right now, I think, are looking at her differently than they were um, even last season from whatever the fuck happened then, which sidebar I do actually kind of want to watch. I think I want to watch the reunion, but we'll come to that at whatever point. Um, that might be a Patreon moment, but, um, I think people are, um, adjusting their understanding of Shannon. They're really not to say that people are like, oh, I'm, I am now standing for Shan, but I think people are sort of getting her more. And how much of that, as I said, has to do with the changing of the guard and the new cast. Um, it's an interesting spot in which to reanalyze Shannon, look at her differently, because Heather Bedore is back. And as the editors will constantly remind us, they have had historic, epic arguments, conflict, you know, get out of my house, all of this, please go. What was it? Please leave. Um, I didn't throw her out. I asked her to leave. Um, you know, there have been so many moments of them sort of battling each other or battling other people, accusing them of battling each other, which ended up leading to conflict. But there is also a sort of an understanding there. And I think what could be interesting in Shannon's life is that hopefully if she continues to stay on the show, seeing the decisions that she makes now being in such hot water this season and trying to decide for herself, is she going to still remain that furiously paddling duck? Like, is she going to always show us feet first? Like, at what point does she calibrate or will she sort of remain this way with the circumstances changing? But I think she is seemingly more empathetic regardless of how she maybe changes her behavior or grows or stays the same. I think that people have a level of understanding of her now, hopefully with some empathy than they did before. And as someone who is a stan of Shan, because I get her, because I see so much of myself in her, it is incredibly rewarding to have that conversation where it's not like we can't criticize this person, but it is to say that maybe we understand them in a way that is helpful or um, interesting. Because at the end of the day, AG is, listen, we disagree about these women and how we feel, but it's the focus is not in convincing you at home to feel a way that I do it, it. To me, it has never been that way. I might push sometimes to share and counter with my perspective of something, but I've never really felt like this was an argument, a battle for me to win. It's never, that's just not interesting to me. I'm not curious in that way. I'm much more interested in trying to understand the ways that I watch the show, the ways that you watch the show, and hearing for the first time, hopefully recorded, 
how my guest co-host, if I am so fortunate to have him on an episode, feels. Um, and so watching the evolution of Shannon has been really fascinating. I would also say when it comes to a transition of understanding that I think that's happening with a lot of people in Jennifer Aiden, who came across as a, I think, caricature her first season. The house, the money, cash, asterisk, question mark, the feeling of I'm going to be extra and everything plus 10 more, I think put a lot of people off because it was hard for people to connect with her because it was seemingly a lot of artifice there. It was seemingly very performative housewifery, which isn't necessarily always a bad thing, but I think we have come to a point with housewives where we understand the purpose that that can serve, but we want a little bit more, especially on a franchise like New Jersey that's so instinctive, that's so guttural, echoing Teresa. Um, even Margaret Josephs, who I'm excited to chat with in a couple hours, is pretty cerebral in how she's able to process things in a fantastic way, but is also reactive and instinctive, which is why I think she's a fantastic fit on New Jersey. Um and so I think of Jennifer Aiden in the same way I think of Teresa in the same way I think of um, of Shannon in the same way, by the way, that I think of Gina, who may not make sense to some people for putting her in that framework, but she is someone who her first season, I was like, what are you doing here? You're talking about your husband who we've never met because his work won't allow him to film, which sidebar is why he's filming now, because he was, I believe, fired from that job. Um, and obviously the circumstances of their relationship and their marriage has changed, ended, and then, you know, a new relationship reborn. Um, but, you know, I thought of her as someone who didn't fit the ideal of a housewife. Housewives created with, you know, first step is have some cash or buy some cash, <laughs> buy things that make it look like you have an escapist life. And then in either two months or six episodes or three seasons, we'll find out why that didn't exist and what cost is being paid as a result. But, you know, for Gina, I was like, what's the aspirational point here? The starter is typically the gorgeous house, you know, seemingly happy family with more several asterisks and something else, but also, you know, what else is cooking? What else we got here? And then to go from that into like the casita era um, was tough. I think it was tough for a lot of people. It felt like almost, you know, not to be like cruel, but like a little comical is like, this is what's happening now. And to see how she has grown because she was given the opportunity to, where even when I disagree with the things and the ways that, you know, she and Shannon are at odds with Emily's leadership and guidance, who sidebar is another person I've absolutely done a 180 on and really appreciate on the show and value, and my opinion about her has changed, um, it goes to show you the impact of understanding and the fact, by the way, that you can understand these women while disagreeing with their behavior or disagreeing with someone talking about how much they approved or appreciated their behavior. Um, the Gina and Emily thing is interesting to me in the fact that 
there's like a Robin Giselle dynamic of I don't see these people ever splitting up. I think that there is a genuine lifelong love there and a bond there that will exist regardless of how, um, you know, hot the climate climate may get with circumstances with the cast. But for some reason, and guys, feel free to slide into my DMs. Tell me your thoughts on this. When I was watching the Gina and Shannon stuff on Orange County, as Shannon is, as the conversation gets into the idea of arrogance and ego, it felt to me like they were using arrogance in a different way, but like against each other, i.e. Shannon was saying that Gina was being arrogant, having an ego, whatever, for questioning Shannon's intentions and level of support and Gina thought that Shannon meant Gina was being arrogant in like the traditional sense of like well I just think I'm better than everyone else which I don't think is what Shannon meant I think what Shannon meant was like how arrogant of you to assume you understand my intentions and then criticize them And the reason that I feel like that's completely off is because when you were at your lowest, I was there. So when you're making jokes or questioning me not supporting your new business, which obviously means a lot to you, it's very symbolic as well and connected to her being an independent person, taking care of herself and finally having a partner who allows her and makes her feel safe in which to like blossom and grow. I think that that's a complicated dynamic because I think when Gina sees Shannon, she is reminded of how she felt at her lowest and maybe has decided to move on from that in a way that isn't perhaps the most holistic way of continuing a friendship with someone who truly did help change your life for the better. It's like when someone goes out of their way sometimes to do something that is so valuable, as we saw from how Gina's parents approached Shannon, how how emotional Gina's mom was with Shannon, which I thought was very sweet. But like when someone is there for you at that darkest point and when you've broken out of that, you've st- hopefully started the healing process as we know Gina has, and you've moved on to these other points, those are sometimes the people you're quickest to criticize in the sense of like, why aren't you supporting me in this? Which isn't to say that you didn't support me before, but it is to say that this is the moment I finally feel like myself. And in feeling like myself, I want to feel like you are supporting me here now. And if you're not doing it, or I'm hearing that you're saying things that are critical of me, you never really supported me to begin with because this is how I now see my, this is the me I was always meant to be. And I think that there's a little element of that with Gina, which reminds me, I know this is going to be maybe a little bit crazy for people, but come on this journey with me, this $2.99 alt. Um, There's a little bit of a sense that I get from the dynamics with Bethany and Luann. When Luann had hit absolute rock bottom, was on that boat, running through fields in the Hamptons and lingerie, all those things that Bethany said in her Miami meltdown, like, a lot of stuff happened. Bethany was there. She was looping in Dennis. May his memory be a blessing. She was trying to figure out financial stuff, trying to figure out treatment options at an intervention, I want to say, if I remember correctly, with Barbara Kay, with I think 
marry the real estate agent, her friend from college, the former model, um, you know, like with loose close friends trying to truly troubleshoot, doing a very different kind of and very person specific example of what she's doing now on a global scale of like crisis troubleshooting. How can I help? I have a specific particular set of skills and it can be in resolving things or in trying to figure out some sort of solution, some sort of treatment for um, whatever's going on. And after that, we saw the scene of Lou when she's getting like her hair and makeup done with whomever the hell she was with. I think it was like Sonia Ramona maybe. And she was making fun of Bethany and like, how dare she? And she's, you know, kind of in her own world or thinks she's, you know, Bethany, Bethany, Bethany. And I thought to myself when those episodes aired that Lou was doing that maybe because she felt like she could or maybe because she had an understanding that Bethany saw her at her absolute lowest. And while I'm sure she was thankful for the help that Bethany gave her, there's also a level of like, I wish you didn't see that. And also, that is not the entirety of who I am. You saw me at my lowest, most vulnerable points And maybe you were someone who I really didn't want to see that. Maybe I feel like you feel like you have some sort of power over me. And by me poking holes at you, it can reestablish a power structure. Because in that moment, maybe Bethany had the power. Even though it was all geared toward helping Lou lose at the center of the crisis, Bethany is the person who is able to troubleshoot, offer to troubleshoot, and in the mix of trying to make these things better. And I feel like there's an ounce of that or two or six with what's going on with Gina and Shannon. I do feel like there's an element of the fact that Shannon was there, helped, you know, introduce this lawyer and did other things too. Like we're focusing on this lawyer aspect because it's something that Gina referenced. She feels like Shannon brings it up too much. And and maybe there's some truth to that. I mean, who knows? I'm sure we'll get more of that information at the reunion. But also there's examples of, of Shannon saying the number of times that she invited, you know, Gina out and, and to have a little bit of an outlet and to be with friends or to go to events when she knew that she was at a really low point. And I think that, you know, the unfortunate aspect of it, of being there when someone is in the thick of things and as they would acknowledge as Gina acknowledged in a really dark point in her life when you hopefully get out of that and you walk a little bit closer to your version of the light I don't know there's sometimes a little bit of a like ooh adjustment to the eyes here where because Gina feels differently about herself or feels more like herself She doesn't feel like Shannon is supportive of that because she's probably still bringing with her the memory of the connection to Shannon to the stuff that happened in the past. I really genuinely do feel like there's something there. There's a thread there. And maybe the comparison with Bethany and Lou, I don't know if it's 100%, but instinctively it just and in rewatching the episode again with you guys spiritually, um, it it to me kind of rang true in a way and you know in a totally different sense bouncing back and forth volleying playing tennis um I wonder a little bit about the Jennifer Aiden factor because you look at 
who was there for Gina at her lowest points? Shannon, as we know, surely Emily as well, whomever else she was super connected to at that point. There were people who stepped up and, and supported her. And now maybe there's some conflict happening. And obviously Emily is involved in that conflict. And there's a little bit of a telephone game, a game of telephone, um, to use the appropriate language. Um, you know, that's happening in Orange County. And I think of New Jersey in a little bit and the price that Jennifer Aiden has decided to play to pay to align herself so much with Teresa. And I think people are offering bonds to her. You know, she had this like little makeup with Melissa Gorga that I actually in rewatching was like, oh, this is actually kind of sweet that Melissa's like, you can talk to me. And the fact that, you know, Jennifer seemed to really kind of like take that, take her at her word. And the very beautiful sponsored by Coffee Mate, <laughs> whatever that stuff was, which I've never tried, but Instagram is a buzz over um, the black coffee slash um, creamer in your purse moment, which was absolutely iconic. But, um, you know, the idea that she's still getting, Jennifer Aiden is still getting connection. She's still getting an offer of friendship and support from people who even an episode or two ago, she was in a huge drawn out spat with. And I look at Jennifer Aiden and I think of like the choices that Gina has made where regardless of what's happening with um, Shannon right now, I think Gina has made like pretty good choices in friendship in who she trusts. Obviously, Emily is number one on that list, but I know that she has a support system of people who truly she can be vulnerable with. She can have real conversations with, even if it involves arguments, even if it involves conflict, even if she's not willing to listen or understand. And also, you know, that other person as well, but it feels like she, has support. She really does. And the irony of her saying she doesn't feel like she has support, I think she has it. Maybe not in the ways that she wants or needs, but it does exist, even just in the sense of Emily alone. And I think of Jennifer Aiden, who's receiving support right now from Jackie Goldschneider begrudgingly for a reason, reason being like appropriately begrudgingly, understanding the new information Jackie seems to get about the circumstances, dealing with whomever was trying to dig up shit on Evan changing every day. And Margaret Joseph's, you know, that scene of Margaret and Jen at Coffee Mate or whatever, Coffee Time, Coffee Clatch, um, I thought was really powerful because it felt like two women who were seeing each other. Jennifer obviously came in and was like, wait, wait, before you talk, I need to get this out. I need to be this, this, this part of this story affected me. I need to be able to tell you how I feel before you change my mind. And so she kind of attempted to take the lead there. Um, but they were able to have what seemed to be a very connective, nuanced kind of sweet conversation. Margaret seemed to take accountability for her behavior. And then the episode ends on a totally different uh, kind of energetic field. Teresa, obviously incredibly angry, defensive, argumentative, you know, looking for a fight, shows up and is able or really wants to have seemingly any excuse in which to battle. And I think of Jennifer Aiden in that context, watching this play out. And I wonder how much of her regrets the decision that she made when she started the show to align so heavily with Teresa. 
And the knowledge, the decision that she made that while she can have these moments with Margaret, a little bit of a stalemate with Melissa, you know, receive support or begrudging or otherwise from Jackie and whatever else, that those are not the women on her team ultimately. Like Jennifer Aiden doesn't have an Emily and she probably needs it the most in her cast right now. She does have women who are willing to connect with her, meet her more than in the middle, like closer to where Jennifer is even and then in ways that they are. But there's an exchange there. It's a real relationship. There's a transactional exchange of, I think, vulnerability and emotion and real, real hashtag women supporting women's support that's necessary for that to take place. I mean, Jennifer at one point questioned Dolores's level of friendship to her. And the underlying part of that is like, okay, but obviously you were a woman in pain, a pain, woman in pain and, you know, you do require and need and deserve support. However, the bigger picture of friendship here is you've aligned yourself with Teresa who doesn't have capacity to give you that. So what happens to Jennifer Aiden right now who may feel like strategically for the purposes of being on the show, she doesn't have an ally as supportive to her through and within Teresa as she is to Teresa. And also, where is her Emily? Where is the person that she feels connected to? Because I think as Jennifer is forced to and has been forced to grapple with what happened with Bill's affair, I think her needs have changed in her female friendships and her friendships with the other women in the cast. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. I think that if people's perspectives of Jennifer have shifted, if people are open to that, and if they haven't, that's okay. But if they're open to that, I think with Jennifer too, I think maybe her needs have shifted of like, okay, who do I literally need, not just to, you know, keep my future on Jersey happening on Housewives, but who do I really need right now to support me? And what happens if the people who are most prepared to support me are the people that I have hurt the the most, the people in whose, you know, like in this environment of Housewives who I have gone after the most? And how does it work if she looks at and to Teresa as the framework, tree huggers, she's like the trunk of Franklin Lakes, like the flowers bloom based on her, the the setup of the show as it has been for many years is around Teresa, regardless of what she's contributing. I mean, who are we kidding here? Um, But like what happens if that person who is still incredibly valuable to and on the show, um, who could make her I would say her life on production probably pretty difficult if she wanted to isn't the kind of friend that she genuinely needs. Like it seems like sometimes there's a longing with Jennifer Aiden when I see her interact with the other women because there's an understanding that she's just not able to access them and access female friendship in a way that maybe she's at a point that she like maybe kind of requires in which to grow and heal. Like what happens if you made the investment in Teresa, which wasn't a bad investment, it got her to this point, you know, to align with Teresa is not necessarily a bad idea aside from when you have to answer to or translate her behavior. Like what Dolores is doing is incredibly tricky where she's trying to translate Teresa to the rest of the group 
empathize with her and maybe disagree with her, but in a way that isn't necessarily obvious. That's a very difficult dance. And with Jennifer Aiden, I just kind of wonder, not that it's like buyer's remorse, but like maybe, maybe a little bit. What happens if the needs from her marriage and in her partner with her husband have changed and with friendships too? And how does that clash with her, the strategic um, imperative? Uh, Words are real fun at 1.45 a.m. The strategic imperative of wanting to continue an alliance with Teresa. So like, how far can I go? I can infer or like maybe explicitly say, but like very quickly and then while drinking coffee, that Teresa is the person who counseled her, suggested to her, brainstormed how great it would be to get more information on Evan. Like, how do you go about having that conversation so you feel like, okay, my hands aren't clean, they're definitely dirty, but you know what? Guess who isn't wearing gloves? Like, there's someone over there who's in a position where Teresa may ignore the reality of like maybe kind of dancing around holding her accountable or allowing the women to you know, normalize changing your mind based on new information, understand that the dynamics were slightly more complicated than me just sliding into someone else in whatever township of Jersey's DMs to find out if they knew who Evan was. You know, like it is more complicated. It does change dynamics. But how do you go about doing that in a way that makes it seem like it's also connected to not just me um, avoiding accountability, connected to the idea of like, I'm doing this as a little bit of a peace offering and maybe I'm doing this as a new trust exercise. Like you could also argue, by the way, that she's doing it in support of conflict on the show, that she knows it's going to be chaos. Like I'm sure that that absolutely could be a part of it too. It's so interesting though that that scene in those moments uh, leaning into what looks like a fucking explosive um, episode next week are happening at this fucking like tree hugger event, by the way, literally hugging, climbing trees with Teresa Giudice, whose fan base, the tree huggers, support her seemingly regardless, which you're not, it's not the only fan base to do so. Let's not hold them accountable in a way that we don't hold LVP stands accountable or Bethany stands, any big, um, typically OG personality, Vicky fans, definitely. Um, but it is so interesting that like while these women are like climbing trees, hogging them, I think Jennifer Aiden is maybe rethinking her hugging of Teresa. Like, I don't think she's backing away from it. And if you watch the after show, I didn't for this week's episode, but I have for all of the episodes preceding. She is kind of going back on what she says in these episodes, perhaps unsurprisingly, because maybe her strategy has changed. Like, who's to say? Who's to say at the end of the day? But, you know, in in rewatching these episodes tonight, drinking every time I say that, take um, a sip of seltzer with a little lime twist. Um, you know, but in rewatching these episodes, the interesting thing, I guess, to me going and hopefully interesting to you, going back to the purposes of the the glory and challenge of a stream of consciousness is that the curiosity I felt shifted from the first watch to the second. And even knowing in preparation for AG 300, it shifted. I mean, 
can you believe that I've been talking for almost an hour and we haven't even discussed New York, which will be a framework for AG300, which I absolutely obviously will be talking about with Kelly. Evan's perspective is incredibly important because he also, by the way, was the bartender the night that and this past week when Andy asked Luann, hey, you know, if you want any of the ladies to come back, who would you like? And she mentioned Kelly, among others, as well as Jill and Aviva. Um, but the fascinating thing about the timing, obviously, Andy knew the announcement that to come, the variety piece that was embargoed. So like the night before, he's asking Luann on live television, who would you like to come back knowing that she may or may not know about the news to come, but knowing how that clip will be used as soon as the variety piece was announced. I mean, the hashtag evil genius of it, like no choice but to stand. I mean, that's insane. That's wild. That's iconic television. Um, But I'm excited to talk about that with Evan because I haven't actually processed that with you guys. I'm going to be going more long form into it on a Patreon episode that'll be out in the next couple days. But In the meantime, I'm excited to also get AG's thoughts in the audience and see, because I think my reaction to it is maybe not what people are going to expect. And it's something that I've been sitting on for a couple of days. So I'm actually, if you guys are a little bit patient, I'm actually excited to discuss it on AG300 and then on Patreon, because I think I actually need to digest it a little bit more. I want to read the, I've read the article Mm, one and a half times, one and three quarter times, like once and then like parts of it I skimmed the second time. Um, But I I think that's really going to be like my primary prep for a stream of consciousness live show. And I do have to say, just tying back to the beginning of the episode when I got a little emo later times, hormones, and also just a little bit of exhaustion and exhilaration and excitement for for tomorrow slash today's event, it is almost two in the morning. Um, cool, cool, cool. Um, is that there is a way to um, support the event if you're not able to attend. Tickets are still on sale. Um, you save five dollars by buying them in advance. They are the show is tonight. I can't believe it's the twenty sixth. Saturday, March twenty sixth at Club Coming. Doors open at eight. Show at nine. That is, in fact, Alan Cummings cabaret comedy space in downtown New York City on the east side and it's like an hour-ish long show so doors at eight show at nine and then you know I'll be hanging out and wanting to do shots of like Vita tequila or something behind the bar after um so you can attend the show it's gonna be fabulous Kelly will be there Marge is joining um via FaceTime and we're going to do a Q&A in the audience so think of your questions if you're going to come um and it's going to be great Evan's obviously guest co-hosting so if you're able to go buy your ticket save five bucks 20 in advance 25 at the door and I will see you tomorrow night and please say hi and let's like do a fabulous selfie that I will make you retake 15 to 30 times and then we'll have a long 45 minute discussion about the appropriate filter and then maybe have drinks um so that couldn't definitely happen would love for that to happen also if you do not live in the new york city area number one absolutely how dare you do other places exist excuse me what um but want to support the event buying a ticket goes a long way shooting me an email along with your mailing address because i am going to be sending a little something that i thought of that i made me laugh so i hope it makes you laugh as well um but if you want to buy a ticket to the event it's incredibly helpful it means that as i said at the beginning of the episode these shows happen one show at a time um and so having people buy seats that are then filled 
um, by AGs and friends of the AG community, um, people who have supported the show. And a lot of people have donated their time. A lot of people have donated their time in making this show happen throughout an assortment of crises in the last six years. Um, so if you are not able to attend but want to buy a ticket, it means so much to me. It's helpful to know if you're not planning to attend or not able to attend, just so we know for reasons relating to um, capacity in the room, which is, um, it's a tight, tight, but fabulous space in downtown Manhattan. Uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram at Dame Galley. You can slide it to my Patreon DMs or email show at gmail.com. And every single ticket goes such a long way. I'm so excited. I am truly sleepwalking in my heart and soul a little bit right now because I have not slept in so long and I did not anticipate recording 2.99 two times. Um, but that would be incredibly appreciative. And I just want to thank all of you for listening. I truly could cry again. I, I blame all of you for this. I blame all of your support and your love over the last several years for this. But, um, you know, be, for the people in the room who I hope to thank tomorrow night, but just for all of you at, at home, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful for our community. And I can't think about it again. I think I need to do a Patreon about it because I could honestly just go on and on about how much I love you guys forever. I'm just so thankful and appreciative to the people who get it, to the people who get me, who get the pod, who are comfortable and confident enough to disagree with me without, you know, saying not nice things or doxing, <laughs> which has happened. Um, you know, but to have a space where we can actually talk, where we can actually talk. Not necessarily, you know, have a series of counters, which there's a time and a place for that too, but to just actually talk about it to and about ourselves to our, each other and also at the end of the day, just to us, you know, like I think there's something helpful in, in talking about women's stories in myself being a woman and talking about these experiences and, and sharing our own perspectives and vulnerabilities and moments and insecurities and stories and laughter and, and whatever else. There's so much value and power in that. And um, I'm proud of us. I, you know, my number one thing is to say that Housewives is not, is to me not a guilty pleasure because there should be no guilt felt about it. No guilt or shame or discomfort in finding power and value in this kind of storytelling and in talking about these women's lives. Because why lower the value of your own life and experience if you're enjoying this or you find something valuable in this. And P.S. your value might not be in like having deep dive conversations. Maybe your value is just like this is a thing that I like to do. This is a thing I like to do for me. I love that I speak the language of it and that's all that it, that it is. That's great too. Like even in how we weigh the value of how valuable housewives may or may not be to us is fascinating and something I'm excited to unpack. Um, guys, on that note, I've been chit fucking chatting for a solid goddamn hour. And it is because I just feel like you're in the room with me and I like when we chat. And I'm so excited to meet um, some of you tomorrow. And I'm so thankful for people who are supporting the event as in any way they can, just supportive DMs, buying tickets in honor of the event, um, 
or just continuing to listen, not to say just, but um, to say I'm, I'm thankful in every way. And, you know, this was the little bit, the knock on the door. This, this version of 299 is the knock on the door of AG300. And please, sweet Christ, I hope it records. <laughs> When we did AG Live for the first time in October, we had three different recording devices, a main one and two backups, and they all failed. Um, and thankful, thankfully, thanks to um, uh, spiritual OG of the AG, Ryan Houlihan, who recorded the entire thing uh, via video, we were able to export that. So if you want to listen to AG Live from October, it's exclusive to Patreon. I'm hoping that you guys all get a chance to listen to AG 300 um, next week when it comes out. Do be a little patient on that. I'm hoping to have it come out on Tuesday. But, you know, spiritually mid-20s plus again on the 27th along with Vicky G. So I hope you guys can come to the show because we are going to hopefully do a little cheers after. I don't know. I just made that up in my head um, when the clock strikes midnight. And um, also, sidebar, if you do come, there are a ton of um, guests and guest co-hosts who are also attending. So that'll be that's actually a really fun thing, too, because you might recognize people in the audience from your ears and stuff. Um, on that note, I hope you guys are all hanging in. Thank you. Thank you for this, um, for, for accompanying me on this solo episode, this unexpected surprise delight. Uh, and while, you know, I don't believe that all things happen for a reason, I'm very appreciative for the excuse to record this kind of long form combo with you tonight. And on that guys, on that note, I guess I'll see you at AG 300 in person, in your eardrums. Oh, the link, by the way, andysgirls.eventbrite.com. That's andysgirls.eventbrite.com. If you would like to buy a ticket or get more information, send it to friends. We do still have tickets available. I would so appreciate all the support. I can't thank you enough. Um, And also shout out, by the way, thank you to Club Coming. Oh my God. And uh, Patreon for folks who want exclusive bonus episodes and so much more, patreon.com slash Scrolls. There will be a bonus app um, going up shortly, truly, truly deep diving uh, the New York news and more. I do have some fabulous satchels from you guys that I want to discuss in a satchel spectacular. And if you guys have any last minute satchels for me to like maybe discuss with Kelly or Evan or Marge or the crowd, um, DM them to me. Follow me on Instagram at Dame Galley or shoot me an email. And um, hopefully you're reading this before the show. Reading this. What the fuck? Hopefully you're listening to this before the show. And if not, hopefully the show went well. And I can't wait to unpack it with you guys on a future app. All right, y'all. Hang in there, which I've said no less than 36 times. Um, a number I do not know, by the way, because I am, as we all know, spiritually mid-20s plus. Um, happy early birthday to me and Vicki Gumbelson. Uh, and I'll see you on the other side of AG300. Have a good, what is it, Truman Show? Good morning, good afternoon, good night. All of those. I hope you're having, I hope you're, you're doing well. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.